Welcome. This is the Woodbury Church of Christ Sermon Podcast. We're glad that you tuned in, and if you'd like to know more about our church, you can find out all the information at woodburychurch.org. Or we'll see you some Sunday, Sundays at 10 a.m. Looking forward to it. Mark chapter 1, verse 1. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. About a month ago, we were at my father-in-law's funeral service, and it was a great service. There was just all these stories of, uh, of Jerry. Many of you knew him, and he's just, he's a very unique guy. You remember him. If you ever heard somebody say amen in a sermon, it was Jerry, because he's really the only one that does it. We need a couple people to step up, but he was the one that did it back in the day. So we went to this funeral, it was a great, great time together, lots of good stories, memories. Uh, after we got home, Liam, my youngest, my 11-year-old, said, uh, I, I sure wish Grandpa were still alive. Now, I, totally, right? You know, I, I understand that. I thought he was expressing sadness and, and uh, you know, missing Grandpa. So I was asking him a little bit about it, and it wasn't that, which I know sounds a little odd. It wasn't that so much that he was missing Grandpa, but that he had heard so many stories from people that knew him, he became this, like, this three-dimensional character in his mind. And he wanted to know that guy that was the practical joker, and he wanted to know that guy that was just, you know, always silly and always having fun, all those wonderful things that you remember about somebody uh, when when you're memorializing them. And I thought it was so interesting for him to see this person through new eyes. His, his grandfather went from this, not, I don't want to say one-dimensional because he wasn't one-dimensional, but he went from this, this character to something just full and alive and, and with, with, with meaning and depth. I tell you that because I think that there's something true uh, with what we're going to talk about today. And I think this is true for many elements of our faith, our spirituality, our religious life, where there is a one-dimensional dimensionality to, to how we feel about certain things. Uh, maybe even our understanding of God or understanding of Christ or maybe our interpretation of some of the Bible stories. There's, there's sort of a one dimension to them. And if they could come alive or if those ideas or if those concepts could come alive with their fullness and their vitality, I, I absolutely know it would be transformative for us. We're in a new series and at first glance, I'm going to show you a word and this word will not thrill your soul. It'll be like, oh, yes, that's a religious word. I've seen that word before. It won't be particularly exciting. You're not going to feel a tingle of joy as you see this word on the screen. But I think it's because we have a dusty, one-dimensional idea of what this word is encapsulating. So here we go. Ready? The word is gospel. That's exactly the response I anticipated right there. There was no amens. Where's Jerry? There was no woo-hoos. There was no, nobody shouted. Nobody started doing the wave. It was exactly what I thought. You were like, yes, that is a religious word. And I think I know what it means. I'm pretty sure I kind of have an idea of what's going on there. I get it. It's a basic church word. Can I say this? I think for some people, it's a boring church word. Is that fair to say? A little boring? You, got, you don't want to admit it because you're like, I might get struck by lightning because I don't want to admit that something in the Bible might seem boring. But I think mo- m- some of you might say it's boring. And I think it's boring because it's familiar. It's familiar. And if we were to go around the room, you'd say, well, yeah, the gospel, it's, it's something to do with the story of Jesus, those first four books of the Bible, or it's something about the cross and how the cross worked to take away our sins. Or I know some of you who grew up going to Bible class, you know the definition, right? When I say gospel, you know, oh, that's 
an English version of a Greek word, and the Greek word means? Yeah, see, you grew up going to church, so you know, know this stuff, and you understand that broadly it probably has something to do with salvation and maybe even a certain style of music that you like. I don't know. But this gospel, S. Lewis, Chronicles of Narnia fame, and J.R.R. Tolkien of Lord of the Rings were buddies. C.S. Lewis was uh, giving a little bit of a review of Tolkien's Lord of the Rings uh, book. And I, I actually, I tried to read Lord of the Rings, and <laughs> I don't want to say I'm dumb, but it's a little long for me. I got a little way in, and I'm like, you know, they made movies, so I think I'm just going to watch those <laughs> instead. Really do like The Hobbit, but I didn't get through it, so I just, full disclosure. But Lewis wrote about Tolkien's Lord of the Rings work, and he said that Tolkien was able to express truth in fantasy because he took things, this is the quote, he took things we know and restored them to rich significance, which had been hidden behind a veil of familiarity. And I think that's what so much of our understanding of faith and Christianity is obscured behind a veil of familiarity. We've heard these ideas and these words, and so we don't really have the depth and the vitality from them. And so that's what the series is going to be about. We're going to work our way to Easter and beyond because it's not the end of the story. It's kind of the beginning of, uh, of this new chapter of reality. So we're going to work our way into that talking about this, uh, this, this, this amazing idea that has been hidden behind a veil of familiarity. So this entire message that I'm, I'm going to preach today has one point. One point. And some of you are like, well, just say that one point and we'll go home. But I'm not going to do that. Because I think that point has to be built up to. There's a crescendo that we have to get to and we have to start over here before we get to that crescendo where you can feel like, yes, I understand when the authors of scripture use the word gospel, I get it. I understand the full volume of what they were trying to communicate. And to do this, <laughs> we're going to have to look at ancient history. And I, that's exactly the response I thought I would get with that as well. Yes, just flat, nothing. You're like, I don't, I didn't like history. I loved history in high school. It was my favorite subject in high school because it happened and it was facts and it doesn't change. I don't, math I didn't get, grammar is confusing, it's not consistent, you know, English. But history, it's just, there it is, it happened. So I loved it. I recognize that not everybody loves it. So I'm going to try to make this as painless as possible, but I'm going to need about five minutes of your time. And you guys know that's a lie. It's going to be longer than that. But I'm going to tell you on the outset, it's about five minutes and, and it's going to, there's a payoff, okay? There's a payoff. So, so stay with me. So ancient Roman emperors, they were like the ancient equivalent of reality TV. These guys were over the top dramatic and there was all this intrigue and scandal and backstabbing, I mean literal backstabbing going on among the emperors of Rome. So the empire, the Roman empire starts essentially, it goes from republic to empire with Julius Caesar. And he had some senators who were worried that he was going to take the republic from republic to empire, so they killed him. So Julius Caesar is gone. Now, there were three guys that valued him. These three didn't get along, but they really valued him. And so they decided to form an alliance and avenge his death. So they, these three, this is Mark Antony, Octavian, and Lepidus, they form an alliance. They take out the bad guys. Then they divide the republic into three sections. Now, because they didn't get along... This whole alliance, this three-section republic division lasted a hot second before they were on each other, and they wanted to fight. 
because they wanted the whole thing. They couldn't share it. They couldn't divide it. Each one of them wanted the whole thing. So they start fighting. Uh, this three-sided civil war lasts 14 years, and it's just a disaster, as you can imagine. Now, this is interesting because we're looking at the big, broad strokes, but imagine you're just a regular Roman citizen. You're just a plumber. You're just a baker. You're just living your life, doing your thing, and, the, and around you is this this ridiculous, insane chaos, this mess. So who do you pay taxes to? Because you got three guys saying, you pay taxes to me. These three guys were all printing their own money. And you know whose faces they put on their own money? Their own faces. Whose money do you use? I mean, if you go to the DMV in the first century, whose who's driver's license is like the authoritative one? Who do the, the state troopers recognize when they pull you over for going too fast? When you are deciding who you are going to follow here, you're making a bet on who is going to come out on top of this civil war. Do you see what I'm saying? It's, it was a complex situation, and people were trying to figure out how do we balance all this? Who do we rely on? Now, I know a lot of you really get into politics, and this is not about politics, but your life is affected and impacted by the decisions that the government leaders make. It matters. I don't always think about this very often because some of that stuff is just in the news and it's kind of abstract, but every once in a while, some choice that they make way up there trickles down to my level, way down here, and it impacts me, and you've had that happen too. When I was thinking about how do governments impact me, there's a wide variety, but the one that felt most poignant was back in October of 2013, there was some squabble at the highest levels, and they decided we weren't going to raise the debt limit anymore, which meant the government went into what's called a shutdown. For 16 days, government shut down, which all non-essential government functions shut down, including federally subsidized zoos that you might have wished to take your little one-year-old who just wanted to see a lion, which is why he's wearing the little hat. Government shut down 16 days. Hey, Liam, you want to go to the zoo? We go to the zoo, pull up. Sorry, zoo's closed. Such disappointment. Get it together, politicians. This is the most important thing on the agenda right now. And I know this is small potatoes, but imagine living through a period of turmoil where there's three different guys claiming to be president and three different administrations and three different currencies. It just would have been a nightmare of uncertainty and chaos. All right, so long story short, Octavian comes out on top. He beats the other two. This is 14 years later. And he gets the whole republic. And he turns the republic into an empire. He doesn't say it right away, but that's essentially what he's doing. He takes all the power away from all the, the Senate. So it's essentially uh, an empire. And, and surprise, he makes himself the emperor. And he changes his name from his birth name, Octavian, and he gives himself the name Augustus, which means majesty. These guys are not subtle with their power grabs. I mean, can you imagine if we uh, elected a president and all of a sudden the president was like, now refer to me as your majesty. Like, wow, that seems a little extreme, right? We don't, I don't know that we want to do that. He gets the whole republic, calls himself majesty. That's the history. Here's the payoff. This is important. He has to let everybody in the empire know that he is now in charge. Okay? How do you do that? You can't tweet. You can't send out an all-empire email. How do you let everybody in the empire know that you are now in charge? 
Well, you commission messengers and you send them out all over the empire and they come to every little nook and every little cranny and they make a declaration that Augustus is now in charge. That's what you do. That's how you get the word out. So we have copies of this declaration. Augustus started to think of himself so highly that he decided that, in fact, the whole calendar needs to revolve around me. So New Year's Day is now going to be my birthday. His birthday was September 23rd, and that's what he declared New Year's Day. And so the calendar would revolve around his birthday. I mean, these guys were full of themselves. But when you're emperor, it kind of goes to your head, I think. So I've heard so here's the declaration. You send out a messenger. And so I have commissioned a messenger for us this morning to read the declaration from 9 BC. That's from before Christ, from 9 BC that went out to the whole world declaring Augustus as the ultimate emperor. All right. So I'm going to call my messenger in. Go ahead. Come in, messenger. Since providence, <laughs> which has ordered all things and is deeply interested in our life, has set in most perfect order by giving us Augustus, whom she filled with virtue that he might benefit humankind, sending him as a savior, both for us and for our descendants, that he might end war and arrange <laughs> all things. And since he, Caesar, by his appearance, which excelled even our anticipations, surpassing all previous benefactors, and not even leaving to posterity any hope of surpassing what he has done. And since the birthday of the God Augustus <laughs> was the beginning of the gospel for the world that came by reason of him. Amen. <laughs> Thank you. I, I don't know that that's the spot you want to amen. <laughs> Watch out for lightning strikes. I appreciate that because that's how it would have been. It would have been a guy coming into town and yelling at everybody that Augustus is now the one in charge. And then you see the language that this announcement uses? I'm not making this up. We're not translating it to help us. The language that these guys used of themselves were things like God and gospel and savior. That is the language that they use. And if you're like, those are, uh, I don't know that you should use those words to talk about a person. Well, you would be right. You probably shouldn't use those words to talk about a person. Now, this is interesting because this word gospel is in this announcement, and that's our word. In, in the Greek, it's a fun word to say. It's euangelion. That's how you say the word gospel, euangelion. But it's a joyful proclamation. You only use it to talk about certain kinds of positive news. You didn't burst into the room and say, I have euangelion, and then say, you didn't get the job. I have you on Galeon, you failed the test. That's, you never did that. It was always positive news. And the more it got used, the more it got reserved for this sort of conquering declaration of kingship. That's how that word was always used. You were priming the hearer to hear good news. That's interesting, right? Here's the payoff. The first verse of the book of Mark, 1-1, one, one, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ the Son of God. Do you see what these authors were doing? 
Do you see what they were declaring? This wasn't just like random language that they were saying, hey, we are declaring the new and coming king, the son of God. That other guy who's made those claims, he is nothing. This, this first century rabbi who was a carpenter, construction worker, he is the son of God. He is Jesus the Christ. That is the euangelion. Now, the word Christ, you probably know this, but that is a, it's a royal reference. Every time you see the word Christ in the Bible, that's, a, that's royal language for anointed one or anointed king. And then, of course, son of God is a pretty big deal as well. And that's language always used for, for Jesus. But do you understand what Mark's saying? These are fighting words. They're fighting words. This is a declaration. This is a revolution that they're declaring that this Caesar Augustus made up name, made up title. Yeah, sure. He's got big armies, but he is not in charge of the world. The one that is in charge of the world was this, this king that was born in a manger. That's who's really in charge of everything. That's who's the boss. That's who's the son of God. This is a big deal. Have you ever worn the visiting team colors uh, during an intense sports rivalry? Alex Aline was telling me that he went to, I don't know, some place wearing go, a gopher jersey and people were throwing stuff at him, like literally throwing stuff at him. Imagine you walk through the Roman Empire declaring yourself to be king of the world. Imagine that claim. Like, what? Are, do you know what you're saying, Jesus? Do you know what you're claiming? That's a big deal. You don't start off your biography of Jesus saying that he is the son of God unless you are making a declaration about something big, something important, a different euangelion. Jesus spoke these same words as well in Mark 1, 14. This is Jesus' message. Jesus came into Galilee preaching the euangelion of God and saying the time is fulfilled. The kingdom, the empire is here. The empire of God is at hand. Repent and believe the euangelion. Believe the gospel. These are the words of Jesus. This is what he was saying. Now, I think we do have an idea that Jesus was kind of, I don't know, um, Maybe not you, but some people have an idea that Jesus is hugs and good vibes, right? He's, he's the guy that you're like, oh, he shows up at the party. and like, oh, I'm glad Jesus is here. That's great. He, kind of, he just kind of brings everybody up. It's, it's awesome. You're happy to see him, you know? But what Jesus says in Mark chapter 1 is like kicking the doors down when you enter the party. I am here. I am the son of God. I am the king of the world. This is a big deal. You work your way through the first, this gospel of Mark to the first and second chapters. And he just says right, right and left, they're making these claims that, that Jesus has the authority to call followers. I mean, Matt, you know the story. Peter and James, Andrew and John, they were just mending nets with their dad. And Jesus says, come follow me. And they're like, yep, see ya. And it literally says they left their dad in the boat. They just walked away. He had that sort of authority, or he had the authority to teach. People listened to him teach, and every other teacher would say, well, as we know, Rabbi Hillel says this, and Rabbi Joe says that, and Rabbi Fred says that. But Jesus would be like, you've heard it said, but I say, who does he think he is telling people the truth as if it comes from him? That's crazy. He had the authority to cast out evil spirits, and they were blown away. Who is this guy? He had authority over sickness. He healed Peter's mother-in-law, made her well. 
And it's not like she was starting to recover, made her well, and she got up and started serving them food right there, just immediately. He had authority to forgive sins. That's a, I mean, who does that? Imagine you walk around saying, I forgive you of your sins, I forgive you, I forgive you. Who does that? He had authority over Hebrew law. This is crazy to me. He was talking about the Sabbath, which was a big law for them because they really liked to pin people down. Like, you broke the Sabbath, you did it. You know. And they actually pointed out to Jesus, hey, Jesus, you're breaking the Sabbath. And he told them, I'm Lord of the Sabbath. Can you imagine that? Taking those Ten Commandments and saying, oh, yeah, that one, that is about me. I am Lord of the Sabbath. That is wild. That is absolutely wild. This is the euangelion that Jesus was declaring that he was king. Augustus can't do any of this stuff. That's the thing. None of the Caesars, none of the emperors could do any of it. They couldn't cast out demons. They couldn't heal sickness. They couldn't forgive sins. They couldn't calm storms. They couldn't declare themselves Lord of the Sabbath. They they weren't worthy of worship. They asked for it, but they weren't worthy of it. And they certainly could not rise from the dead. I mean, this is a big deal, what he's claiming. The real gospel is here. The real empire is here. The real emperor is here. And by the way, it's me. What? That is nuts. Now, I had to, just for the sake of time, edit out a bunch of stuff because it's like every other sentence where he's making some claim to power, authority, and kingdom. But I did want you to note, and we'll talk about this in more detail next week, but I did want you to know that even at the end of his life, this is the language being used. This is why he was indicted and found guilty and executed. John chapter 19, verse 12, from then on, Pilate tried to set Jesus free. Because Pilate's like, who's this guy claiming to be king? Who cares? I know Augustus is emperor or Tiberius at the point of Pilate. But the Jewish leaders kept shouting, if you let this man go, you are no friend of Caesar. Anyone who claims to be king opposes Caesar, puts Pilate in a pickle. Well, I guess that's true. I don't want to get in trouble for letting a guy who, you know, claiming sedition and treason go. Verse 14, it was the day of the preparation of the Passover. Boy, is that important. We'll talk about that in the future as well. It was about noon. And Pilate brings Jesus out to this crowd that hates Jesus and says, here is your emperor. Here is your king. Remember, you have to choose whose currency, whose taxes, whose rule of law, whose national security are you going to choose. And Pilate's mocking. Here's, Here's your king, guys. Here he is. And look at what they say. Verse 15, they shouted, take him away. Take him away. Crucify him. Shall I crucify your king, Pilate says? And look at what they say in response. We have no king but Caesar. That's a big deal. We have no king but Caesar, the chief priest answered. I want us to think about this because what they're making is a choice about who they follow what authority they listen to, how they organize and arrange the priorities of their lives. That's the choice they're making. We have no king but Caesar. We're casting our lot in with the empire. Forget this Jesus guy. Who is he? I spoke to someone recently that is not compelled by Christianity. In fact, they think Christianity has been the source of much immorality in the world and much hurt and much harm. And unfortunately, there are many Christians who have caught 
cause much hurt and much harm in the world. But they said, I am compelled by Jesus. Jesus seems like a good guy. He seemed like he really loved people. This is their words, not mine. He seemed like he modeled how to love people. He spread love. And he didn't say this, but my interpretation is, oh, good vibes, Jesus. He did. He was all hugs and good vibes, right? That's true. I think Jesus probably would hug people. Jesus probably had good vibes, right? I think it's all true, but it's so shallow to who he claimed to be, it's insulting. If, uh, <laughs> if someone came to me and said, Patrick, tell me about your deep love for Kareem. Tell me about how you, you met her and romanced her and asked her to marry you and tell me about your life together and tell me how you feel about Kareem. And if I thought for a minute and I answered, well, she's a pretty good cook. <laughs> That is true. She is a good cook. But that answer is so shallow that it's insulting. If I say anything less, she is the love of my life. She is the wind beneath my wings. She is, she is my forever love. If I say anything but that, it's too shallow to the reality of what they're asking. When people come along and say, Jesus, ah, he loved people, that's great. But that's not what he was claiming. That's not what he was claiming to do. Yes, he loved people. Yes, he was a compelling figure. Yes, he was a witty teacher. He was all those things, but that's not what he claimed to be. He declared the euangelion, and he says, the kingdom is here. I am the king. Repent and believe the gospel. That's what he's claimed. What does that mean for me? Because I don't live in ancient Rome, I'm not trying to decide, is my loyalty to Caesar Augustus or, or Mark Antony or Lapidus? I'm not trying to figure that out. What, what, is all, what does this mean to me? Well, it absolutely matters what authority we base our lives on. I had a youth group kid years ago when I was doing youth group, uh, and we had one of those forecasts of one of those giant snowpocalypses, you know what I'm talking about, where they give it a name, they, they give storms names now. And they said, it's going to be the storm of the century, you know, go to Target and buy everything and hunker down for days on end. And one of the kids in the youth group, uh, I, we'd been able to meet and he said, I'm so excited for this storm. Oh, that's weird. That's the opposite reaction of most people. But he said, yeah, I had a big test uh, Thursday and I'm just, <laughs> I'm just so glad that I don't have to worry about preparing for it now. And I'm like, hey, buddy, I don't want to name any names, but I was like, hey, Jacob, I mean, hey, buddy, I don't think that's, I don't know that that's a really good idea. I don't, you know, I'm trying to give wise advice. And he's like, no, no, it'll be fine. The forecasters, they're definitely, they're right. You know, I have more time. Next day, spread open the windows, sunshine, <laughs> birds are singing, people are out for walks and picnics, and it's just a wonderful, beautiful day. And of course, there is school. And so the next time I see this fine young man, who I'm sure has since learned his lesson, I'm like, hey, how did, uh, how did the test go? I ask innocently, because I know it didn't go well. And he just does this, <laughs> just not, not good. It totally matters what authority we, we listen to, what authority we base our lives on. Do, do you recall being old enough that your parents would leave you at home 
And they would say something like, okay, I will leave you at home, but I need to know that you're responsible. So uh, I want to make sure you need to vacuum the family room before we get back or something like that, right? And so they would leave and they'd be gone and you would immediately do all the stuff you weren't supposed to do. And every teenager, and parents, you may not believe this to be true, but it is true. Every teenager wired in their DNA is the sound of their parents' tires coming down the street. (laughs) They can tell when the parents are coming home and the particular sound of their garage door opening and their parents entering into the house. They can tell all the, they know all those sounds. And those sounds are a harbinger of the gospel, the euangelion of the parents. Oh no, the parents are here. The empire of the parents is at hand. It is time to repent and believe the gospel of mom and dad. I better break out that vacuum cleaner real quick and do what they're asking me to do. Because they, there we go. Because they are in charge. So what does the gospel of King Jesus mean to me? I doubt any of us have a strong negative reaction to the concept of Jesus as king. We don't. Uh, We sing songs about Jesus being king. I think most of us, not that we do this, but I think most of us would be okay with like even putting, I don't know, Jesus is my president bumper sticker on our cars, you know, and we pray a few prayers when we need something, but yeah, we're okay with that. But you have to understand the gospel of King Jesus was a counterclaim in the first century. It was a counterclaim to what was being proclaimed. Jesus, not Caesar, should get your ultimate allegiance. Jesus, not Caesar, dictates right and wrong. Jesus, not Caesar, receives your worship. But here's the thing. The gospel of King Jesus is still a counterclaim today. It's a counterclaim. There are claims on your allegiance and your worship and your morality being given to you constantly. And we constantly have to decide who is my king? Who has my ultimate allegiance? Who is my ultimate Authority. Our struggle is not between Caesar and Jesus. It's more often between our own kingdom and Jesus. Between us. Because, you know, we kind of make fun of Caesar. Oh, you get to be emperor. You call yourself Augustus. We would do the same thing. We would do exactly the same thing. We do the same thing. We are in charge of our kingdom. And if somebody else begins to lay claims on our kingdom, we do not like that. We do not like that one bit. Here's the contradictory claims, and I I want to to begin winding up with this. It really evidences itself in two ways. One is you are king of your life. And so you'll hear voices saying, don't let anybody tell you what to do. Don't let anybody tell you how to live your life. I couldn't help but think of the Bon Jovi song, It's My Life. It's Now or Never. And I was actually reading through the lyrics of that particular song, and he quotes Frank Sinatra in that song, who sang, I Did It My Way. I mean, that's the hymn of our culture, is that you dictate the way you live. Don't let anybody else tell you what you are, what you should do, or what you should be. You decide for yourself. You are Emperor, Your Majesty, Augustus. That's one of the claims of our culture right now. But the language of the Jesus gospel is surrender, submit, deny yourself. And you can see why there's a conflict of kingdoms constantly. But the other way that this me kingdom, so to speak, evidences itself in our world is to say that we, collectively, we are king. And and what I mean by that is that there is is a sort of groupthink 
that can dominate subcultures within our society. Where you, ha- this is what the subculture says is the standard of right and wrong, and you adhere to that, and if you get out of line at all, well, then you're just no good. You're basically a Nazi, and that's essentially what happens among public discourse. And this is a bipartisan phenomenon. I'm not talking about one side or another. It's saying we have defined right and wrong, and we want your ultimate allegiance. And if you are not willing to give us your ultimate allegiance, then you are the enemy. But humans aren't great at defining right and wrong. Where history is littered with movements and governments that, that follow the we right into massive genocide and failure. We, we need a king. You need a king. And it can't be you because you're no good at it. You're not. So what do we do? Well, I think we just look at what Jesus said, Mark chapter 1, verse 14 and 15, where he's, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the euangelion, the gospel of God, and saying the time is fulfilled. It's here, and the kingdom of God is at hand. You can hear the tires coming down the road. You can hear the garage door opening. Repent and believe the gospel. So here's what you have to do. It's not complex, but it is hard. We have to repent of any contrasting loyalties to the rule and reign of Jesus in our lives. That's what Jesus is asking. I know we want good vibes and hugs Jesus, but that's not who Jesus declared himself to be. He said, you have to repent of any other kingdoms that you have given your allegiance and your loyalty to. And then he says, we unconditionally surrender. We believe this euangelion. And so for us, as we wrestle with these ideas, the question is, isn't, and, and we all ask these questions all the time. We asked them this week, we will ask them this week because it's going to be a wrestling match to make king, Jesus king of our lives. But the question no longer is, will this make me happy? The question no longer is, will this make me money? The question no longer is, will this give me status among my peer group and my subgroup? Those are no longer the questions. The questions for people who believe in King Jesus is, what does my king ask of me? That is it. What does my king ask of me? Here is my prayer for our church family. This is what I've been wrestling with myself in preparation for this series of sermons, is recognizing the many places in my life where I have declared authority and I have taken charge and I have kept Jesus out. And I need to give Jesus back his kingdom that he came to declare and that he lived and died and rose again for. I want to live under the authority of someone that loved me so deeply that in order to keep me with them, they were willing to die for. That's the authority that I want to submit to. So we're going to sing a song in closing. It's a song called Salvation Belongs to Our God. And this salvation that we're declaring, this euangelion that we're declaring, but we're saying that God lives on the throne. And and that's a declaration. And I know sometimes we sing things because we believe them, but sometimes we have to sing things in order to believe them. And I think that's okay too. You may need to sing this 
in order to believe it and allow the kingdom, the gospel of Jesus Christ to be spread through your life and allow Jesus to reclaim his kingdom, maybe some ground that you have let go of in your life. These uh, lyrics are from the book of Revelation. Now, I've been spending a lot of time in there recently, and the book of Revelation is amazing because the whole thing is about, at some point, the illusion that we're living under, that we get to call the shots or that any government on earth has any authority will be ripped away and King Jesus will march on the scene. And the scriptures say, Philippians chapter 2 says, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. Not because of force. Jesus isn't going to be pointing a spear or a sword at them saying, you must confess. Because it will be obvious. Because there will be no doubt. There will be no illusion. There will be no choice anymore. Because the veil will have been torn away and it will only be King Jesus. And that's, that's, that's what we're choosing now. That's, that's the gospel that we choose now. And we enter into that kingdom through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. But here's my prayer for our church is that we will, this week, we will wrestle with that choice because you're going to see it now that we've talked about it. You're going to see it in your life and you're going to be like, here's where I, I got to make this choice. And I, I pray for our church family that we will be the kingdom. We will honor Jesus as king.